9 p.m. B-U-L-O-V-A, Bulova Watch Time. This Christmas, buy her the new Bulova President. Curved to fit the foot. Curved to fit the foot? Huh? Hi there. I'm Brian Colon, and I'm the creator of Rampage, the arcade game, among others. And you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast with Sean and Jim. Uh, If you're talking, I suddenly can't hear you. Help. Yay. Yay. So, So. um, welcome again, everybody, to a special Christmas episode of Pie Factory Podcast. And what makes it a special Christmas episode? What makes it a special Christmas episode? Your guess is as good as mine. So, that's probably about the only time we'll reference the holiday in this entire episode. But Actually, no. I'd be probably mention it once, more, once or twice more. But, but Yeah, it's like so, the white herring in the room. Uh, hi. So, how you doing, Sean? Um, I have a little bit of a headache, but how are you doing, Jim? I have a little bit of a... Oh, actually, no, I don't have much in the way of Arby's iced tea anymore. I think it's all melted ice now. Uh, I think I'm one of the few people on the planet that likes Arby's, so I don't know. Oh, but, boy. Um, having said that, we wouldn't mind having Arby's as a sponsor because... Oh, no, not at all, not at all. Because, hey, we, we like money. You know who's got a really good roast beef sandwich? You don't have them in the city, though, is Hardee's. Yeah, we, yeah where's the nearest Hardee's? They, they used Dwight. to be all over the place. They used to be when I was a kid. Uh, they they were all over. Then they closed them all. Then in the eighties, and then in the eighties they came back. Then they closed them all. And then a couple of years ago they came back to the Chicago area. Then they closed them all, the exception of like two of them. Hmm. Uh, and those two are the there's the one in Ottawa and a brand new one they built down in Dwight. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing at uh, the truck stop. So if you I would consider south on neither of those Chicago area. Well, well, they're as close as you're going to get. Probably, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I do like Hardee's. Um, their breakfasts are really good. If you ever get, if you're ever traveling south on 55 to go somewhere and you're, it's in the morning. Then we're sorry. Stop it by the one in Dwight. Butlicker, our prices have never been lower. And get their uh, pork chop and gravy sandwich or biscuit. It's a breaded boneless pork chop with... Uh, Biscuits and it's like the the sausage gravy for biscuits and gravy on top of it. It's messy as hell, but it's the most awesome breakfast sandwich you'll ever have in your life. Not joking. In fact, I might run out to Hardy's tomorrow morning to get one. It's only a 20-mile drive from my house. So, so 20 miles for fast food. If that's not in and out good grief. Yeah, I have no desire to try in and out oh, It's good, though. It's fresh. Yeah. And it's Maybe honest if and I'm it's out cheap, that way, and, but I won't go out of my way for and one. And they pay their workers fairly. If I'm out where there is one, I might try it, but I won't go out of my way for one. I kind of went out of my way for a Whataburger, and I'm like, eh, it's decent, but it's nothing great. I uh, like Culver's better. Uh, oh, dude, speaking of Culver's, I think you'll be proud of me. I forgot to mention this uh, last time we chatted, but uh, when I was at Underground Retrocade, I mm-hmm. took a break for dinner. <laughs> I decided to give Culver's another chance. Mm-hmm. Because I told you before, when I tried Culver's several years ago, it was so disappointing because it tastes, it, to me, it was just salt that was mm-hmm. designed to look like food. Uh-huh. But the uh, the milkshake was really good, though. So I decided to give Culver's. There's a Culver's not terribly far from the Retrocade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in Carpentersville. 
It only took me a few minutes to get there, but I went there. And first of all, I got to say the staff was extremely friendly. I was very, mm-hmm. very happy with that. Very friendly, very COVID compliant and everything too. And I tried again. And once again, it was salt that looked like food and the shake was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so gave it different Culver's in a different county, another chance and got the same result. Well, I think their burgers are delicious. But then again, I've only... No, I've been to a few Having of them. Having said I mostly that, if Culver's the one wishes to sponsor Pie Factory Podcast, uh, hey, <laughs> give us a call. Factory at fab4it.com. Of course, that's a call. Jeez, I gave you an email address. But they have other sandwiches. They used to have a pot roast uh, sandwich, which I understand was pretty good, but I haven't seen it on the menu in a long time. Uh, they have a Reuben, which is really good. Hmm. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, I like their burgers, but, you know... I'll take you to the one in Morris sometime. Maybe that'll change your mind. Their iced tea is very good, I have to say. Uh, their root beer is very good, too. Huh. It's their, their own special root beer. I don't know if they make it there in store, but where was I going with this? I don't remember. But uh, yeah. but you mentioned Underground Retrocade, and with that, we should probably just dip into some news, some oh, very yeah. sad news. For those of you who follow us on Facebook already know this, but still. Yes. But uh, the Pixel Blast Arcade in Lyle, Illinois, which was one of our little favorite arcades, even though, unfortunately, we didn't get there as much as we would like to. Yeah. Uh, they have permanently shut down because of the COVID crisis. And it's uh, sad to see. I hope that either, A, they hold on to the games and reopen at some point in the future, or the the games they have go to a good home. Terry and... Um, Paul. And Paul, thank you. I can never remember the other guy. Terry and Paul uh, have always been very nice to us, very good to us. We were we were there opening day, weren't we? Yes, we when were. Open the place, and um, very very fun small arcades. Probably the smallest arcade I've been to in quite a long time. But they lacked in size. They more than made up for in originality because they had electromechanical machines. Oh yeah, they had that uh, that hill climber one. They had uh, our favorite game, the Air Handball. Yeah, and I'm, what what really is setting off my OCD is that. Pixel Blast is no more, which means we don't have a place to play uh, the uh, air handball anymore. We're tied. Mm-hmm. I beat you the first time we played, and then you beat me the second time we played. We did not get a chance to break that tie. You know what, though? It's probably best that way because I'll, I'm a bit of a sore loser. So there we are. No, they well, had. I'll need- tell you what, that makes me feel good because it means that you think that I would beat you. So that's yeah. a, that's a little uh, ego boost right there. So you'd thank think you. I'd, you'd, you'd think I'd be used to losing, you know, all this time, but uh, but then, uh, then November two thousand sixteen root- happened, and your team won the World Series. Well, the team that I root for, I'm not part of the team. I live vicariously through them, I guess. Uh, one other thing I'm going to miss about uh, Pixel Blast is they had that really neat uh, bowling game. Uh, with the pins, oh, yeah. and I remember the first time I saw it, it was like all of this white dust all over it. I'm like, that bowling game is like dusty. You go, no, 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 that's wax. You have to keep putting it on there, otherwise the game won't work properly. Like, oh. Yeah, and, yeah friction uh, that's reduction. Really yeah, so. R.I.P. Pixel Blast. They're yeah. the, uh, the second uh, casualty that we're aware of in the arcade industry, thanks to this uh, nasty virus that's going around the thing is though was grinkers we don't know about grinkers we, yeah, the, yeah we they, don't, i don't we, know we if were, they ever said it was because of covid in fact i true. think they, they might did. have been planning to anyway just to convert to a different kind of business that might be true i might yeah, be wrong I, okay i don't know at the very least this is the first one that's directly related to covid yeah that we know Which for is, sure yeah and um yeah, yeah, don't and, be like us if you guys got a local arcade and they're open and they're practicing responsible COVID mitigation yeah. procedures, 
by all means, visit them. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we love Retrocade. Yeah, yeah, of course. And man, I, I had two free passes to Pixel Blast, too, that I haven't used yet. I, I have one to Underground Retrocade, but I'm not using that sucker until things are a little bit you know, less COVID-y, you know what I mean? Because I'd rather just pay out money just to make sure they can continue to have a roof over their head, you know? Tronad's a frequent contributor to um, the uh, Ten oh, Pence yeah. Arcade podcast. Uh, gifted me a uh, an underground retrocade uh, pass. Uh, he bought one just to help support the business, but he's probably not going to be coming back to the arcade for s- several years because of everything going on. So uh, he gifted me it, and uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Tronads. Yeah, that was thank really cool. He was actually he was going to gift one of us, but he didn't know who, so he flipped a coin. So that, <laughs> that was really cool. Yeah. Good people, good people. Sad to see good people like uh, Paul and Terry uh, suffer through this, but yeah, uh, yeah. Un- unfortunately, it is what it is. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah, except get the vaccine when you can. Yep, yep. So, yeah. By the time people like you and I can get the va- no, sorry, people like you and me can get the vaccine, we'll have a better idea of its efficacy and how many people have certain kind of reactions to it. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, according to what I saw, New York Times had a thing where you could put in uh, your your age and like any sort of, not symptoms, like uh, conditions you have or whatever. And it'll tell you approximately where in line you will be. And there's about 200 million people in front of it for me. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Although I should have I should have put my mild asthma in on that. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Nothing's set in stone as to sure. how it's going to be distributed to the general public yet. The only thing we definitely know, frontline workers and the elderly are first. Yeah. As, as it should be. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, without them, uh, the rest of us, uh, well, go to hell, <laughs> I guess. So, all right, enough about that. Let's talk yeah. about uh, positive things. What have you been playing, Sean? Oh, goodness. Uh, besides uh, the games we're talking about this particular morning, assuming we're recording in the morning, the people out there don't know. Ooh. It's morning somewhere. Yep. Oh, geez. What, what if I built? Oh, yeah. I got. Yeah, this is the damnedest, Jimmy G. Um, oh. I was off the week of Thanksgiving, and I figured, oh, that's a lot of time I can play video games and such. So. I mentioned how I rearranged uh, my little corner, uh, well, corner my side of the uh, third bedroom where, where I do my recording and my uh, working from home and uh, video games and stuff and sometimes music and things. Um, I moved things around so that I could bring the Vectrex out instead of keeping it under my desk. So it would be in plain sight. It'd be more encouraging for me to play it. In that move, I somehow misplaced my Atari 7800. So I couldn't find the damn 7800. Huh. But I eventually did. I eventually found ah. it. Full disclosure, I have three of the things. <laughs> I have three of them. Uh, one of them needs to be modded because I don't have a CRT TV that I can play mm-hmm. it on. Um, the other one has a... I, I think I need to do just a quick touch-up on it for some reason. I think a solder connection got loose. But the one that I always use, it's... Uh, you know that I couldn't find it because I moved it around. But I did find it. It was... Uh, Actually, right ne- it was right on top of my Commodore 64 and <laughs> under my computer desk. So I dug that out, and I have a new homebrew called GoSub. There's a, an Atari 2600 game called GoSub that's from about 10 years ago. Uh, the 7800 game GoSub is the same thing, just for the 7800. And uh, that, that was it was nice to have a new game to play for that. Other than that, not really a heck of a lot of gaming. Another trip to the Retrocade. 
Oh, oh yeah, and uh, in the yeah, since the last time we talked, when I, when I went to the Retrocade, I was playing Ms. Pac-Man Turbo, the high-speed hack of it, the hack mm-hmm. of a hack, as it were. And I'm about 460,000 in, and suddenly the the machine resets on me, and I got excited because I thought I might have found another game reset bug. And uh, Scott, the owner and proprietor, Pry, 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 the owner and operator of Underground Retrocade <laughs> said, I don't think so, man. I think it's just that this time of year, there's a lot of static electricity and these old games are very prone to static electricity. And so there might have been something that triggered that in the static electricity. I said, dude, just let me have this moment. I just, just let me think I found a bug. He said, yeah, the bug you found is that these old games are not terribly resistant to static electricity. <laughs> But oh, speaking of which, he did tell me a little tip. If you are playing an arcade game, like when there's a lot of static electricity possibilities, mm-hmm. whatever hand you're not using the control panel with, keep it on the control panel. Is I guess it acts as a ground mm. or something, and that'll reduce the chances of that happening. Interesting. Yeah. So that was pretty cool to to learn that. I still want to say that I discovered a bug in the game because I was wearing vinyl gloves at the time. Mm-hmm. Just as extra protection, but I don't know. Extra don't protection. Know. Some other arcade tips that I got from uh, our our friends at the Underground Retrocade: Don't ever, ever, ever turn on a machine that's off. Just don't. If it's off, it's off for a reason. Yeah. Uh, which and I've never which, heard of anybody doing that, but uh, uh, yeah, y- you you know somebody who did it once. I do. Yes, uh, your 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 current interlocutor. You. Yes. Yeah, years ago, years ago, when none of the arcades around here had Super Pac-Man, uh-huh. Logan Hardware just got Super Pac-Man, and I just ran my ass over to Logan Hardware because I wanted to play Super Pac-Man, so I went in, and it was turned off, and um, there wasn't anybody looking, so I just kind of snuck on, I turned it on at the top of the machine, you know, because I knew where the switch was, and I played a couple of rounds of it, and I turned it off again. <laughs> I did confess to Jim Zespi, and he just kind of laughed. He's like, "Oh, that's okay. We only turned we turned it off because uh, it looked like it was glitching out at certain rounds. We just didn't uh. want anybody to have a bad experience yet, until we got a chance to look at it. But anyway, there was uh, one game that was acting kind of wonky, and uh, before I, I did word. anything, I said I, I went to uh, Scott just to let him know. I said, "Hey, Scott, is this? Can I just turn it off and turn it back on?" And he got up and he walked over to it personally. And did it. And yeah, that solved the problem. It was just a quick reboot. And he explained that, yeah, you don't just want to willy nilly just turn off and turn on video games because you never know what could happen. You got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how I think uh, one of the pinball machines once like was uh, when it was turned off for a reason, someone turned it on and it caused all kinds of problems. And yeah, basically, if you are somewhere where there are video games and something is turned off, do not turn it on. Just don't. You could cause more trouble than it's worth. Oh, yeah. And there was also a out of order sign on the game, too. But this ah. yet still turned it on. But, yeah. But, yeah. And I, oh, and I finally cracked 300,000 on an actual Mr. Do arcade cabinet. Really? Nice. Yep. Good for you. Yep. Something I'll never do. I haven't been doing a heck of a lot of gaming. I've, I started doing my Christmas time watching. For example, like right before we recorded this, I watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and live commented on it on Facebook as I am want to do, W-O-N-T. Mm-hmm. Want, which is yep. a word. Yep. Oh, yeah. And yesterday, which was, fr- yeah, it was Friday evening at 6, I actually, oh, yeah, this is great. I Usually I watch 
a pirated copy of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I usually watch it when I fly to New Jersey, like during the flight, but we canceled our Mm -hmm. New Jersey trip this year. And I watched it yesterday and I live streamed it on Facebook and uh, just so other people can watch it with me if they want. And uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, about five minutes before the thing ended, Facebook popped up a message at me that said something like, if you continue to broadcast uh, with music that you don't own, we're going to end this live stream and remove the video. Wow. So I'm like, oh, I'm so scared. And I'm thinking, okay, there's only five minutes left. There's like one song left. And was it long enough to be triggered? So I go in and just as the closing credits are over, I got another message. Hey, we told, we warned you, so bye-bye. And it cut off the live stream right there, right at the end. So I was feeling so smug because I survived their threats all the way through to the end. So suck it, Zuck it. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I, got a, I got a warning the, uh, the other day from uh, Zuck about one of your, how I shared one of your uh, videos and how uh, about copyrighted music. Oh God, I could, we could do a whole episode, uh, <laughs> side episode about our opinions on this, on the whole copyrighted bullshit Nike that's going on. And what um, video was it that you, sh- that you were sharing of mine that I don't, was I sharing it or did I like, I think I may have just liked it. Oh, okay. It was one of your, uh, extra life videos oh from, yeah from a couple years ago yeah because i had i turned on some music in the background and that triggered it that's what it was and it's like we're gonna mute part of this video hey i, it's like, I don't care people don't want to see how i played a video game two years ago unless it's like a high score attempt and they want to see how i do it or something so i don't give a crap and by the way something i just wanted to say because i i think we should say this like periodically and we haven't said it in a long time this is mainly for People who might be listening to us for the first time or one of the first times right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. This is episode 118, I believe. Uh, But Uh, yeah, it is. This is mainly just some disclaimers. Jim and I, at least I, don't consider myself an expert at video games by any means. Me neither. Although you're probably better at most of them than I am. Please. Uh, We we just love video games. That's all. We just like to talk about them. I mean, what we do is we just... Decide what games we're going to talk about. We play them, we research them, and report our findings. And that's, we don't pretend to know anything special. You know, all we're doing is reporting on things that we learned. So uh, we're not experts, we're just fans. And we like yep. to talk about stuff that's not video games. Like, for example, um, we talked about fast food burgers. Yep. So, yeah, that's what I had to say about that. Uh, how about you, Jimmy G? How about you? If, 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 tell me about your video game adventures recently. Well, a few years ago. Somebody, I said recently, not a few years ago. It's a story. Let me oh, let okay. me let me tell it for criminy. So a few years ago, somebody in Wilmington, Illinois, I think it was. Yeah, it was Wilmington. Was offering up like on FreeCycle a uh, Sega Genesis, just giving it away for free. He didn't want it Dang. anymore, and it came with only came with a controller, which not a huge deal because it's easy enough to get a hold of a power supply and of AV cable. And so I grabbed it from him. And uh, never did anything with it. Just, you know, was waiting to get some games and stuff for it. But it never happened. But this week, I finally got around to uh, to working with it. And, well, actually, no. Eh, within the last 10 days. And uh, it worked, but the uh, power supply jack on the back was uh, loose. So I had to get a soldering iron and reflow the solder joints. And now it works fine. Uh, so I've been playing some of that. 
the first thing I did was I bought Sonic the Hedgehog 2 just to test it out. That was the first thing I did. That's and a good game. Um, I love that game. It's, that and Super Mario World on the SNES are the only two uh, video games I've solved. And Super Mario World is the only one I've solved unlocking all the secrets. And so I went and today bought a whole bunch more games for it. One of nice. them is a, uh, it's called Six Pack. It's got like six of the most popular games for the Genesis on it. Oh, and, I uh, thought for a minute that they adapted the uh, Kenny Rogers Six Pack movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, that would make an awesome video game. Well, it was actually mentioned in the uh, Fox uh, video games catalog as coming soon, but a prototype has never been found. Uh. So we're working on an Atari 2600 game with it. So, anyway, so yeah, I've been playing a lot of Sonic 2 on, on this uh, six pack thing. It's got Sonic 1, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, a whole bunch of uh, other games on it. And then I uh, also picked up Jungle Strike, uh, nice. Wheel of Fortune, Clax, Ms. Pac Man. Uh, best home version of Ms. Pac-Man ever, by the way. Uh, what else did I get? Oh, um, speaking of which, Bob DiCrescenzo yeah? did some tweaks to his upcoming rethinking of the Pac-Man collection. And mm-hmm. one of them, the Sega Genesis version of uh, Ms. Pac-Man has an ending animation. Oh, does it? After, I think, 32 screens or something. Oh, I'll, that's something I'll probably never see. Yeah. I, and, I, uh, the thing I love about that is they have so many freaking mazes in that game. Yeah. And Bob uh, is incorporating that animation in his uh, reworked nice. Pac-Man collection. Oh, yeah. The other two games I got for it were, uh, I said, did I mention Jungle Strike? Well, I'm mentioning it again if I had. I should have picked up Desert Strike 2, but I didn't. Well, Jungle Strike yeah. is Desert Strike 2. <laughs> And uh, Zany Golf, which, uh, come to find out, doesn't work on the Genesis Model 3, which is the Genesis that I have. So I was a little disappointed with that because Zany Golf was one of my favorite games on the Atari ST computer. So, yeah, I've been playing a little bit of that. The Klax is pretty good. I guarantee you it's not as good as the Amiga version. Well, I don't know. I've never played it. I'm trying to think of where it ranks in as far as the version, different versions of Klax I've played. Oh, you know what? By the way, I think I should step in and say this uh, on your behalf here. Uh, if oh. anybody knows of a way to get Zany Golf working on Jimmy G's Sega Genesis, like if there's maybe a hacked version of it that'll work, or if there's maybe a ROM chip or something he could swap in his Genesis, let him know. PyFactory at Fab4IT.com or the social medias. So, yeah, I've been playing that. Uh, been trying uh, also and also been trying to uh, get through Akari Warriors on the uh, 7800. It's my goal to uh, complete that game. Phil, the No Swear Gamer's uh, already gone all the way through it. I really like that game. That's really good on this on 7800. And uh, so that's what I've been gaming. And, uh, oh, yeah, we forgot to mention in the news segment that uh, there's a new Atari 7800 SD cart taking pre-orders right now. There are two taking pre-orders. There are two? There are two. I only saw the one, the Dragonfly. Oh, there's a Concerto also. That's right. And um, (gasps) I kind of ended up pre-ordering both (laughs) because the thing is, like, all of a sudden the Concerto became available, I think, with, like, almost zero notice. (laughs) Fred was about to announce that uh, he was going to put more in stock. So I was refreshing the concerto ordering site until the out of stock disappeared. And while, it, while that was happening, I get a notification. There's a private message for me on Atari Age. 
And it was like, hey, I'm just kind of uh, getting a jump on things and putting you on the pre-order list. Are you okay with that? And I was like, um, sure, because for one thing, I didn't, I did not yet have have that concerto solidified. Uh-huh. And another thing for the Atari seventy eight hundred homebrew podcast, that's a homebrew. Might need to review it. Aha! Uh-huh. So podcast fodder. And also, if I do get the concerto and I still have the dragonfly, I have a backup. So if one goes south, it can go back and revert to the other. Oh wow! I'm, a, I, you know what? I'm. Let's see here. I might just cancel my order of the Dragonfly and get on the Concerto pre-order. Here's the thing. Here's my problem right now is that we've got the two SD carts for the 7800. The uh, flash cart for the Intellivision is coming really soon. Oh, nice. And then I also want to get a uh, EverDrive for the Genesis. Yes. That's like $500 worth of multi-carts and yeah. flash carts. And it's like, yeah, I've got a better job now, but I I, I don't have that much better of a job. Sure. So if I'm going to do, I'm only going to be able to do one of them. And I think the concerto, now that I know that the concerto is here. Oh, now it says out of stock. <laughs> uh, I might do the concerto. Yeah, like right now, I go to the 7800 forum. The the two top pin threads are Concerto SD multi-cart ordering and Dragonfly pre-order. So they have Concerto pre-order is a $10 down payment, but you still get it for 89 bucks even if the price goes up. So, you know, I was like, I'm going to do that here. Not right, th- not right now, mind you, but uh, or will I? Maybe I will do it right Can now. Can you order and know. podcast at the same time? I don't know. Ooh. Actually, I can. And by the way, we don't have any emails from Eugenio for this episode. So I know. This is interesting. I has a sad. Well, I think we're recording earlier than when we than last time, so he just yeah. might not have, not have had some time to gather thoughts. Actually, we don't have any emails from anybody. I don't think. No, we no, we don't. Yeah. But yeah, um, so that takes care of emails. Uh, when you're ready, I do have an addenda and errata. Well, why don't we do that now? Okay. Yeah, and I got my concerto reserved now. Ooh, nice, nice. Yay. Yeah, you will get an email when it's. Oh, actually, if you got it reserved, then yeah, great, perfect. Uh, uh, oh, and here's the email. There you go. my reservation. And um, yeah, I hate to do this because this, this is kind of uh, showing you up and I apologize, but uh, when we were talking about Chiller in the previous episode, there were some home ports mentioned. Yes. The only real home port of Chiller was the NES version. The other ones were just other games, other like horror themed games that happened to be With called Chiller, okay. but they weren't the same thing. I think they're like platformers or something. Uh-huh. So it's good to know that some home computer users weren't subject to that Chiller. X-City game. Oh my yes. goodness. That is, oh God. Those We've first already, two screens you, are so disturbing. Uh, that is... Oh, and something... And this uh, is an addenda. Not going... Something that I noticed about the music is uh-huh. that it's this... Like, there are only two pieces of music, really, used during the game. It's just that at different times, that same piece of music is played back at double speed. I was like, oh, oh it's it's interesting. I, I noticed things like that eventually. So, yeah. I think that's all with Addenda and Arata. Do you have anything? I do not. Okay. Oh, this oh? concerto cart also supports 2600 games. Yep, it's basically a Harmony Encore, which means it can play, like, the really huge ROMs that the original Harmony can't. Well, I don't have to buy games anymore. Nope. 
Except home one thing, one thing I actually like about the uh, the LTO flash cart for the Intellivision is um, each one has its own serial number that's directly linked to you. And uh, what happens is that uh, homebrewers for the Intellivision can now sell the ROM oh. keyed to the serial number so that and it will not work on any other LTO flash carts. That is fascinating. I like that. Yeah, that is definitely. a great way to get, to to break, make the games from the homebrewers a little more uh, available. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's an initial outlay of like ninety bucks for the flash cart, but uh, that will pay for itself after you buy so many homebrews. So I like that. That's a great feature. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I what I'm looking forward to is that I because there hasn't really been a multi cart except for the Mateos rewritable, which you can only put a maximum of sixteen games, assuming they're small ROMs. Mm-hmm. Every time you want a different set of games, you got to rewrite it. The SD cards, oh man, when those things are available, that means they can get rid of some. Like I, I have a pretty sizable collection of seventy eight hundred games complete in box that are taking up space, and I can just sell the ones that I really, really don't want to keep, mm-hmm. but I still want the games for and all that, and keep the ones that mean a lot to me. Like for example, I have. Uh, the uh, the ramp I have rampage uh, new in box or not new in box a complete in box with the box autographed by the original designer of rampage so uh, that stays here but it's going to be so nice to free up some space because I'm not one of those people who needs everything in its original thing as long as I can play the games on that I mean, that makes me happy oh I see that if uh, by pre ordering the concerto you also get first shot a new power adapter that he's making for the seventy eight hundred and the hokey chip. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about the adapter, but yeah, the hokey sounds pretty cool. And the price on the hokey chip is expected to start at ten bucks. Wow. Um, oh my! Although hokey is a... being des- designed specifically with the seventy eight hundred homebrew market in mind, you can also use one on a concerto. Man, so hmm. that's I a might sweet go and buy deal. Buy an actual pokey as well, just to uh, have one. The I think the one, like I said, on my Mateos cart is uh, dead. Hmm. I believe. Which, by the way, my Mateos cart still works. It's just uh, one thing I didn't. I I shouldn't complain about it because it was a, it was a, an extremely generous birthday gift I got a few years ago. But I have had issues with trying to get ROMs running on it, uh, flashed yeah. to it properly. It is it's it is n- tricky. Yeah, sometimes you have to do it like three or four times. It's a fine fine product. It's just not. What's the word I'm looking for? Not uh, Florizel Corp. No, it's not uh, embiggened enough, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, you know, I, okay, what operating system are you using? Win 10. That, yeah, there, there it is. There's a pro- yeah, there's a problem no, with that. No, that's like- not the problem. I know that issue, and I've gotten around it. Okay. Uh, uh, I, was, I was well aware of that issue. No, it's something else where it's just not copying correctly, and I'm wondering at hmm. this point if it might be the cable I was that's using what I'm to thinking. connect it to, the, uh, to my computer. Yeah. Which, this is going to be the last HP computer I probably ever owned, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, think I Windows, used to love HP, but not yeah, I think I think Windows versions newer than 7 and Mac versions that start with, like, Catalina and higher, yeah. that they have it, that same problem. It's, it's like a hidden file yes. that the Windows put on it, which is baloney. There's ways to get around it, but if yeah. they're not necessarily very uh, easy. Intuitive, yeah. Intuitive, that's the best word. Yes, 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 yes. So hopefully it's actually the Mateos cart that's got an issue and not the uh, not the pokey chip on it. But, yeah, right. Uh, well, even then, hey, I mean, if if you can use a hokey and and there's the, yeah, and they're, they're they're expensive, but there's the pokey max and the other. Po- I think there's another pokey, pokey one? clone. 
Yeah, I think yeah. the Poke Max is because uh, like when I ordered when you order the Dragonfly, you can get a Poke Max with it yes. for a few additional dollars. Yeah, I decided to order that. That brings the total of it up to like uh, 140, 150 bucks that neighborhood. Yeah, but uh, like that. I ordered that so. Or, well, I put my name on the waiting list. I haven't ordered anything yet, so I might sure. actually miss out on this one. Although I have been trying to keep my eye on the LTO Flash thing because that's uh, something I really want. Because I, as far as I'm concerned, I think I'm done buying games for the Intellivision. Because I think I have everything that I want. Well, maybe I don't, but at the very least with the with the Flash cart, I can get other games for it too, though. So, But yeah. So, yeah, so great news uh, all around for yeah. 7,800 owners. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so, oh, yeah, and the Atari Age store just released a whole oh, yeah. boatload of uh, of games for sale in their store. So just go to AtariAge.com. It's the first news uh, the first news item on the main page. Link in the show notes. Yeah, but uh, they do have uh, the homebrew, the Champ Games homebrew version of Avalanche. Which we covered several episodes ago. Yep. Uh, when did we cover that? Uh, oh man! Oh, here it wasn't terribly that was episode... long ago. Was it, was it really that long ago? Holy crap! That was episode eighty-four. Yeah, we, we hmm. paired it with Astro Blaster. The theme was games Activision ripped off for their own twenty-six hundred games. Yeah. So Astro Blaster being uh, the arcade uh, equivalent of Mega Mania. Yes. Yes. So I think that's... Yeah, I pre-ordered uh, uh, Dragon's Cash for the uh, 7800 and the uh-huh. and Zookeeper for the 2600. Yeah, I really can't justify pre-ordering much of anything right now because I do have a bunch of other bills I need to take care of But yeah. uh, first. But, uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, I... Uh, yeah, in my case, I'm fortunate that working from home is saving me a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still got to drive to work, but yeah. uh, the hours I'm putting in there is making me have a lot of money. So, and the fact that I'm working second shift, I'm getting an uh, additional $2 an hour over and above good. my base pay. So, mm-hmm. and then Sunday I get uh, also get overtime and Sunday pay, so I'm like raking in the buku bucks. Nice. I am rich now. You can tell because I have a monocle. Mm-hmm. Pip, pip. Well, you know um, what I have? What do you have? A drink to sample. Ooh, shall we open Sean's drinking arena? Yeah, and I keep thinking we should have Scattered Frog record a jingle for this or something. But I, but at the same time, I really don't think it's going to be a lasting thing because you know there's not a hell of a lot of these drinks out there, really. And actually, it's good timing because there's a new episode of My Dad Wrote a Porno. Their first, yeah, it's and a there's another one Christmas coming. Episode. There's a sequel, or not a sequel, but a continuation of that episode yes. coming soon. So that was only part one. <laughs> oh, God. I have to listen to it again because this one... Uh, I I know I missed so much stuff on this one. This one seemed to be especially goofy. <laughs> you see, the thing about, okay, I love my dad wrote a porno, and the problem is, there are two problems. Number one, because the writing is so atrocious, and number two, I listened to most of the actual podcast itself at work, so I wasn't always focused on it. <laughs> so I'm missing out some of the characters, and I'm missing some of the story, so I don't remember some of the things that went on. Like, I don't remember the significance of certain characters. Uh, this one is, this Christmas episode is a pornographic retelling of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Uh, Belinda, what's her, what's her last name? I can't remember. Blumenthal. Blumenthal, that's right. Wishes she had never been born because she, she stole a, a color ink cartridge from her employer. Yeah, she felt so, <laughs> yeah. 
All right, dude, I know I've said, I might have said this before here, but I got to say it now. Speaking of It's a Wonderful Life, think about the, the, the original movie when Clarence shows George what would have happened if he had never been born. His brother Harry would have died in the war. Uh, no, his brother Harry would have died when he fell through the ice as a kid. And so he wasn't there to save all those people from uh, getting shot or from uh, dying in the war. Uncle Billy went insane and ended up in the asylum. The guy who owned the bar uh, ended up penniless or something, or his house was taken over or something. The uh, pharmacist he worked for was like run out of business because he ended up poisoning a bunch of kids accidentally and George wasn't there to stop him. But Mm -hmm. what's the one thing that Clarence just could not bear to tell George? That Mary became a librarian. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The horror. Horror. Anyway, Sean's drinking, and I'm a little bit confused about this because the drink that I have is Lester's Fixin's Buffalo Wing Soda, and I don't remember if I tried it before. I really don't remember. But this thing is like, at first glance, it looks like an orange soda. You could easily confuse it with Sunkist or Crush or something. Just as an aside, I have actually had this drink. I tried it a couple of years ago, but I'll uh, leave my opinion uh, until after you have tried it. Okay. But I think, yeah, I got this at uh, Lickety Split yesterday. I mentioned them in a previous episode. Uh, If you're ever in Chicago, they have two locations. Actually, I think think one of their locations is closed during COVID. The other one they kept open. Thankfully, it's the one that's just a walking distance from my apartment. There were three drinks that I bought besides Lester's Fixin's uh, Buffalo Wings, so Buffalo Wing Soda, singular. There was Wink Martindale's Orange Passion Fruit and Guava. Oh, God. <laughs> and I drank, that, I drank that when I was watching Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. It tasted just like another Lester's Fixin's drink I had before. I've but always I don't loved that what. guy's name. Wink Martindale, you know he was, with a name like that, you know he was a player. Yeah, yeah, I think he was a DJ in LA for a long time, like back in the Beatles era. But and now um, I gotta look his name up. But I think he was in KRLA or something. And I also bought a uh, cookie. Uh, oh, well, no, it was a uh, uh, a cookie dough Sunday, fudge and cookie dough Sunday that I'm gonna probably drink when I do my annual Santa Claus Conquers the Martians viewing next weekend. But um, but this, all right, I'm gonna try the Buffalo Wing Soda pouring it into my glass because I need ice. I like drinking my drinks with ice. Oh, wow. Wink Martindale is 87. Yay! I didn't know he was that. He's born in Jackson, Tennessee. Judging from the picture on the bottle, he had a crap ton of work done on his face. Okay. His real name? His real first name isn't Wink. Oh. It's Winston Conrad Martindale. Hmm. From a player to uh, somebody who sounds like he should own a castle. Okay. Um, there's a certain undertonal flavor that's common to many Lester's Fixin's drinks. And you're tasting it and you think, okay, I know I've tasted this in other drinks and this is no exception. But, um, if someone were to hand me this drink without telling me what it was and said, what do you think this drink is just Mm -hmm. based on what you taste? I would say sawdust. Really? It tastes like sawdust. Or any kind of, like, just a dry two-by-four or something. Okay, now, when I tried this, I actually enjoyed it. I didn't pick up on any sawdusty flavor. To me, it had kind of a a mild cinnamony taste. I can almost see that. And it was more like like big red chewing gum to me Hmm. than uh, than buffalo wing. Buffalo wing, you're thinking, it's going to be disgusting, but it was not 
to me, it was not unpleasant because of the cinnamon taste. I would never guess this was buffalo wings. It tastes nothing no, like buffalo it wings. It does not. Okay, the taste reminds me of, say, the aroma of a freshly constructed like framework of a house or a garage or something before the drywall goes up. It sounds it sounds bizarre, but it's not really a bad flavor. It's not bad. I kind of enjoyed it. I, I will not need to go dr- grab another drink to wash down the flavor. Yeah, it's um, so. There we go. The only ones I've had that are really bad are the uh, the sweet corn and the uh, the ranch dressing. Oh, the ranch drinks. is disgusting. The, the the ranch one is. Like I, like I said before, it tastes like you're drinking a crayon. Yeah, I think the I'm only not one, joking on that. I think the only Lester's Fixins drinks I haven't had yet are blue cheese, and I've never seen that. And um, there's a coffee soda out there, and I do not like coffee. I don't. I do not drink coffee, so I don't know if I should bother with it. Well, the uh, the company that makes it, Rocket Fizz, does have yeah. a store in St. Charles. And by the way, they also made the Wink Martindale drink and the. Oh, okay. Uh, I, th- I I don't think they made the uh, fudge and cookie dough soda that I bought, though. Let's see here. Where are they out of? Well, I know where they're out of. I mean, what do they, what do they have? They're out of Nashville, aren't they? No, they're uh, out of California. Oh, they have oh, a store in they Nashville. They closed the one in Glenview. The only one is the one in St. Charles. Huh. Oh, that's sad. The next closest one is in Warsaw, Indiana. I gotta go to... Oh, okay. It's like two-thirds of the way to Fort Wayne from Chicago. Huh. There's two in Indianapolis, one in St. Louis, and nothing north of us. Oh, there's one in Traverse City. Oh, okay. Oh, the by the way, uh, kind of an addendum to uh, what I was saying, you know, address, explaining what we do to our possibly new listeners. Uh, we also uh, live within a 70-mile radius of Chicago, and in my case, I actually live in Chicago. So a lot of our chatter back and forth is going to be kind of like uh, Chicago area-centric. Yeah. Yes. On a rare occasion, be Midwest-centric, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, Chicago is like the capital of the Midwest. Although it's not... It's... Okay, I'm not going to go on. I was going to go off on a geography thing here, but I'm not going to do it. And Jim but, likes geography, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, I Ohio do too, should but... not be part of the Midwest. There, I said it. Hey, I don't... Yeah, you can't, you can't be part of the Midwest during East Eastern time. Yeah. Now, Ohio is a Great Lakes state. It is. So Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, did I say Indiana? And Illinois are all Great Lakes states. So states, yes. But Ohio should never be considered a Midwest state. New York is a Great Lakes state, too. Did you say New York? Oh, I did not say New York. And Pennsylvania is, too. And and truth, um, there was about 20 years ago. I was looking for a job because I hated my job. And there was an answering machine message my wife told me, hey, I listened to our answering machine messages. There's a guy who sounds like your dad who wants to offer you a job. And he really sounded like my dad. He had that Midwestern accent going. And you know, cause my dad talks like this. Except the guy's not from the Midwest. You're getting on Lakeshore Drive, then you turn yeah. left on Balbo. And it turned out the guy was not from the area at all. He's from uh, somewhere in uh, the state of New York, like upstate New York. But it's somewhere that's along one of the Great Lakes. So, so when you hear someone with this kind of the accent, uh, like it's Buffalo, a, Rochester, it, it's like yeah, Rochester. That's where he's from. Yeah, and uh, yeah, basically, it's a Great Lakes accent, really. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense because Wisconsin's kind of got a similar thing going, or Milwaukee's got a similar thing going on. The further north you go, the harsher it is. Yeah, you know, like up there in Minnesota, you know. Yep. Yeah. That's how Tim Evans talks, you know. You know what? I don't notice it with him. <laughs> uh, but it's been so long since I've heard him talk. Hint, hint. 
<laughs> You'd probably say, what the f*** are you talking about? I don't talk like that. Should we, uh, I miss I guess, those should guys. we get along and start talking about some games? Yeah, we probably should. We are a game podcast, so uh, that yeah, I'm game to talk about games. Uh, do you, you uh-huh. know, I've been, I chose the last order, I think. You want to choose this order? Sure. You know what? Let's go with Mad Planets. Ah, Mad Planets. Yeah, uh-huh. Mad Planets. Uh, Mad Planets. Oh, this is our last episode of the year. We got to come up with a new way to introduce game, or do we even want to bother with that? Yeah, we'll nah, talk, let's we'll just talk offline. Yeah. We'll, let's, we'll just wing it. We'll wing it. Flat, flat, flat. So yeah, Mad Planets, haha, released in February of 1983. Yes, Yay. I say February. There's an R in there. It's not February. I say February also. Yeah. It's February. hard to say February, though. I, mean, I always sound like I'm drunk when I say February. Aren't you? Not right now, no. No. No, the Buffalo I Wing Soda, I think, is alpha... Alpha? No, alcohol-free. Maybe it's not. I can't say alcohol. Alcohol. But anyway... Uh, now I'm just sitting here eyeing my bottle of brandy, which is just slightly out of reach. Ah. But anyway, Mad Planets was released in February of 1983 by Gottlieb, which I believe is German for Got Love. Um, I might be wrong about that. I don't Ooh, speak German. Yeah. And that Come was, and got uh, your lieb. And according to David Thiel, who usually does the audio, I think it was David Thiel who said this, he usually does the audio stuff for Gottlieb games, did audio stuff for Gottlieb games. Gottlieb is no more, of course. Oh, shoot. Uh, I had an addenda and errata. Oh, well, we'll get to that in a second, yo, yo. Uh, but according to David Thiel, this was the third video game produced by Gottlieb after Qbert and Argus, I believe. The only thing is there was also Quizimodo, but I don't think it ever got beyond prototype stage. So yeah, this was huh. the, the third that was released by Gottlieb. Uh, now I'm done with my thought. Jim, what would you like to say about Addendum and Erratums or something? Oh, yeah, I've been listening to back episodes of the Atari... 2600 game by game podcast. Oh, and I it's almost to- for this. It might be Ferg's birthday when this episode comes out. So happy birthday. Oh, Ferg. that's right. His is coming up. But uh, so I was listening to it and I listened to the Tempest Atari 2600 Tempest prototype episode. Yeah. And the guy who we keep saying Dave Tour, it's uh, his name is pronounced Dave Toyer. Huh. And uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, the, the creator of Tempest and iRobot, his name is Dave Toyer. That's how you mm. pronounce his name. It's not T H E U E R or whatever it is. It's pronounced Toyer. Ah, so it's it's so, like German. Just thought I'd bring that up. That's uh, you know, I've been listening to his podcast in hopes of you know finding little new tidbits that we may have uh, you know mistalked about. Oh here. yeah, yeah. So we can have an addenda and errata segment. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. We like consistency. Anyway, uh, the going back to Mad Planets, the hardware was designed by Jun Yum, and it was programmed by the late Khan Yabumoto. Kanyabumoto's thing with this was he wanted to show off the capabilities of the hardware that Jun Yum had just designed. And uh, in the original workings of the Mad Planets game, uh, he could only have something like two objects occupy the same general region of the screen. But with this new hardware by Yabumoto, he could actually have 64 sprites at the same time anywhere on the screen. And they could nice. overlap each other. Uh, the graphics were done by uh, Jeff Lee. And the audio is done by David Teal. Lately, I've been liking to talk about the control panel, and I really need to talk about it for this one because it's so unusual uh, and very difficult to emulate, too. It's doable. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's doable, but it's hard. Uh, That's what she said. And uh, the right side of the control panel, there is a kind of flight-style, trigger-style joystick, and that's what you use to move your spaceship around the screen, and you also use it to fire. On the left side of the control panel, you have a spinner, and uh, that basically rotates your ship. 
and in between you have player 1 and player 2 start buttons. And a fun fact for you, prototype versions of Mad Planets had control panel artwork designed by Jeff Lee, which from what I understand was very unusual. He usually didn't do the cabinet artwork. Usually that was Ooh. Terry Dorzaff. I just thought of a secondary uh, theme for tonight now. Oh, good, because I don't remember the primary one. I think I know what it is, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, the artwork that Jeff Lee did for the control panel that most of you would probably will not see at least anytime soon because it was only prototype, uh, it was influenced by DC Comics artist Wayne Boring. The released version, though, the control panel artwork is done most likely by Terry Dorzaff. You know, digging a tunnel is boring. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I've tried it. It's boring. So as for how to play the game, what goes on in Mad Planets, where you have a bunch of planets that are not happy? Well, Yay. sort of. Uh, the gameplay, it's kind of like a um, twist on the Asteroids uh-huh. gameplay, maybe even Solar Quest, really, which is a game we got to talk about sometime. You have a whole series of waves, each of which consists of three rounds followed by a bonus period. So essentially four rounds per wave. What happens in a round is that some small planets appear on the screen and they move around, and you have to destroy them. If you destroy the planets before they fully develop, uh, that is, before they become approaching planets, you get a bonus. We'll talk about that a little bit later. These so-called approaching planets are going to develop into attacking planets, which will actually chase your spaceship and try to destroy you. Yeah, that's right. Planets come alive in this game. Just like Peter Frampton. And an attacking planet will have between three and six, that is between three and six inclusive, moons orbiting around it. If a moon leaves the planet's orbit, it is considered a mad moon. And uh, to destroy a planet that has already developed, you have to destroy all of its moons first. When all of a planet's moons are destroyed, that planet becomes a mad planet, and it starts following you around super fast, and you gotta work your butt off to shoot that thing away as fast as possible. Starting with the third round in the first wave, comets show up and they travel across the screen. Basically, you want to avoid them, and you get points for shooting them. Humans start to appear in the first bonus period, I think... Uh, usually they, well, except for the bonus periods, and I'll talk about that in a sec. Usually I think humans appear when a planet is destroyed. You rescue a human by flying over it. And, uh, that is hard to do, by the way. It is hard to rescue a human because they actually go away from you. So you almost have to accidentally run into them. But anyway, the fourth round in each wave is the bonus period. And all you have on the screen for the bonus period is comets excuse me, are comets, got to remember grammar here, and humans. You just destroy comets, you rescue the humans. The bonus period ends when one of three possible things happens. One, you allow a comet to escape the screen. Two, a comet destroys your ship. Or three, you destroy ten comets, which is what you want to do. And uh, there's a a pattern to the game. The first round of every wave gives you two planets on the screen at once. The second round gives you three planets at once. And the third one gives you four planets at once. Now, having said that, in the first round in the first wave, you have to destroy five planets. (gasps) But Sean, you just said that there are only two planets on the screen. 
Well, I say, <laughs> you're darn right. That's what I said. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> but Sean, what happens? How do I get to five if there are only two? <laughs> Silly. You do that by destroying two planets. When you destroy a planet, another planet appears. So that's how you get to that. Uh, and the number of planets that you have to destroy increases by one in every round. And it tops out at 20. And there are 32 rounds total. And I think that doesn't count the... Um, Actually, it might count the uh, the bonus the bonus round actually, but there are thirty two rounds total, and if you go beyond the thirty two thirty two no the thirty second round, then mm-hmm. you just keep cycling through rounds twenty nine through thirty two. One of the sources that I looked at said that uh, you go up to round ninety nine, meaning that all the way up to the ninety ninth round, you keep repeating uh, rounds twenty nine through thirty two. I don't know if the game comes to an end after round ninety nine or what. So that much I wasn't able to uh, determine, and I suck at the game, so I was not able to try it myself. So, yeah. And I have some uh, little bits of uh, trivia about the game for you here. Uh, The gameplay was originally supposed to be about destroying atoms and molecules, which, uh, allow me to opine here, I think that makes more sense than having planets that are the size of your spaceship Hmm. try to attack you. I don't know. I don't know. You gotta have a little bit of a fantasy. I don't know. Unless you have a really, really large spaceship. Or that, too. That is very possible, yeah. And uh, Yabumoto wanted to have music playing when the ship was not firing, but David Teal thought that it would be impossible because that would essentially mean that you have two things going on at the same time. You have gameplay going on, and you have another routine playing music. But he was able to figure out how to work that in. So you might notice that when your ship stops firing, you'll hear music. And uh, the game is known for its... I shouldn't say known, but it's reputed for its uh, rocking musical background. So, yeah. And uh, also, the spaceship in the game, that was based on a cardboard model of a spaceship that Jeff Lee built. He took Polaroid pictures of that ship in various positions so that he could design the gaming artwork. Various compromising positions? Very likely, actually, depending on where things are coming. So... Basically, it was so he could uh, render the ship in different positions for when you rotate the ship around. And uh, after he took the Polaroids, he traced them onto white paper, I believe. And then he redid the drawings on graph paper so he'd know how to design it for a pixelated screen, basically. And uh, the suits at Gottlieb didn't allow anybody on staff to receive credit in a game. And that was pretty standard across the industry back then. Mm -hmm. Basically, just so their designers and programmers and stuff wouldn't stuff. People are stuff, apparently. (laughs) But so they wouldn't be poached by other companies. The exception at Gottlieb, if Tim Skelly was involved in the game, they would let him take credit for it. I think it's because they poached him. And they wanted, they basically hired him for bragging rights, I think. But Tim Skelly was not involved in Mad Planets, so you're not going to see his name in the game. Having said that, Gottlieb did hide some people in the high score table. The number one position is Kan, K A N. That's, of course, Kan Yabumoto. The odd numbered column has the following names Yak, Ann, Bob, um, spelled U-M-M, Matt, Oop, Tom, and Oxt, O-X-T. The first letters of each of those names spells Yabumoto. Kan Yabumoto was actually able to put his name in there in a kind of sly way. And in the even-numbered column, like uh, the top two, four, six, eight score, etc., 
uh, those names were entered as NAB, which uh, refers to programmer Neil Bernstein, uh, CBK, who is the late Chris Krubel, if I'm pronouncing that properly. Uh, there's Yum, and that's Junyum. JCM is Joe Mungo. Lee is Jeff Lee. LJS is Laura Schvedel. DDT is David Teal. Zap is Rick Teague. And WBD is Warren Davis. And FXS is Frank Starshack. We built this city. Having said all that, let's go back a little bit. Talk about how you score points in this game. Let's do that. If you destroy an approaching planet, you get 100 points. If you hit an attacking planet, that's one point per hit. So that ones digit is actually used in the score, which doesn't happen a lot in video games. Or doesn't happen all that. It, well, okay, centipede does. Millip- okay, for, forget what I said. Easy to do. If you destroy a mad planet, that is a planet that doesn't have its uh, satellites around it and it's attacking you really, really fast. It depends on the size of the planet. One of the sizes is called Mad Plutona, which is the smallest mad planet. You get 200 points for destroying that, 300 points for destroying Mad Marzon, and 500 points for destroying Mad Cryptophan. If you destroy a comet, you get 100 points, and for every comet you destroy after that, it's an additional 100 points. And uh, that tops out at 1,000 points, and when you move on to another round, the comet score resets back to 100. Mm -hmm. If you rescue a human being, you get 200 points, and that's starting in the second wave. And then with each additional wave, the point value for rescuing a human increases by 100 points until it tops out at 1,000. If you have a perfect round, meaning that you destroyed all of the planets before they became attacking planets, then you get a 4,000 point bonus in the first round of a wave, a 6,000 point bonus in the second round of a wave, and an 8,000 point bonus in the third round of a wave. And I was about to talk about how the high score table resembles the high score table of Joust, but then I remembered that I'm working off my notes from uh, the previous episode, which is about turkey shoot, so I forgot to erase that, so I am not going to mention that, except I mentioned it. So, yeah. Uh, There is a home version of Mad Planets. Did you know that, Jimmy G? I did not, actually. Actually, there are two, and they are both in the Commodore 64. The first one is called Crazy Comets. It's a clone, really, and it was uh, programmed by Simon Nickel. And that came out in 1985. And then in 1987, he did a sequel and called it Mega Apocalypse. So... Hmm. I might have to look those up. Yeah, I I didn't actually play those in my Commodore 64, but I looked up on YouTube. And they are pretty good. Especially uh, Mega Apocalypse looks really nice. But yeah, those hmm. look really good. I don't think you can rotate your ship in uh, the Commodore 64 version, though. You can only just move around and shoot. And uh, let's talk about where I first saw and played uh, yes. Mad Planets. And uh, <laughs> that would be Galloping Ghost. I never heard of Mad Planets until uh, Galloping Ghost got it. Uh, I think there were only 1,500 of those cabinets made anyway, so it wasn't really high circulation. It got great reviews when it came out, though. And it was a success at uh, all the... Oh, I suddenly forgot the name of the big uh, gaming show that would happen every year, I think, at McCormick Place. But... Uh, Anyway, I should talk about some high scores. You don't want to know the first place I played it? Actually, yeah, I do. Putt-Putt Golf and Games. That's in that was going to be my Joliet, first Illinois. They had an interesting selection of games there. They had, like, you know, the classics, but they also got, like, the new kind of more innovative things, too. So it was kind of unsurprising to actually see that game there. I remember having a lot of fun with it. 
I lost my notes all of a sudden. Okay, there they are. That's why there was silence there. But uh, I was able to find two high scores two for high- uh, Mad Planets and uh, one for Twin Galaxies, one for Orcade. A-U-R-C-A-D-E dot com, by the way. Uh, and both of those records are held by the same person, and that was Austin Swan, who I believe was 11 years old when he got these records, by the way. Uh, on Orcade.com, he performed on July 10th, 2016, and scored 568,893, beating out by about 80,000 points a record that had been held for about uh, 15 years. And um, I remember watching... Uh, Oh, no, it wasn't this one. Uh, the one that I actually saw was the Twin Galaxies attempt in which he ended up with a million sixty nine thousand three hundred and five. And that was certified September 14th, 2016. And uh, that was done by the TG SAP uh, certification method. And I, know that be- and I know that because I was one of the people who upvoted his submission. So, yay. Uh, yeah, I watched his submission on Twin Galaxies because our friend Duke told me that uh, Austin had submitted it. And he said, it looks, he said, go ahead and check it out. I just thought you'd like to know that one of our, one of our people is up there. So look at his video and looks good. So you might want to upvote it. And so I did. And I was like, yeah, it looks good. I remember the moment that he actually beat the world record. It's, it's really weird. Cause when you know that you're about to beat a world record on something, there's the, for the first mm-hmm. time ever, you get this feeling. It's like, Oh my God. And this kid is only 11 years old too. I, th- I think he was only 11 at the time. At least I know when I first heard that story, I was just, it was just wild to me being, uh, yeah. you know, an old, uh, Gen X guy that thinking that somebody younger than me, one of those crazy kids, you beat the high scores on some of the classic games. So that was actually really, really cool to see. Uh, yeah. But I love the, in the video, cause like Pete Han was, uh, basically witnessing it. And I remember as soon as Austin, like got over 500, whatever thousand the record was, he was like, Holy crap. And he just froze in place. And Pete's like, keep playing, man. Keep playing. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that that was cool to see. But yeah, Austin Swan has that uh, that record on both of the uh, commonly used uh, scorekeepers. So really, why is it not reflected on Orcade.com? I mean, that world record was performed at Galloping Ghost. Doc owns Galloping Ghost and Orcade.com. But oh well, what else can I say? Uh, Jimmy G, what are your thoughts on uh, Mad Planets? This is an interesting game. It's uh, a little bit unusual. It is. It's you know, Mad Planets is kind of a weird name. Sounds like a, a like a B science fiction film, you know, about Martians going to war or something like that. And um, it's really surprisingly fun and uh, uh, fast paced. Um, I really like this game a lot. I don't know if, if, if I'd like it enough to give it a five, but it's definitely a very strong four. Yeah, I need. I think I need to spend more time with it because I was kind of disappointed, but I never really spent a lot of time on the arcade cabinet. But the thing is, like, when I was playing it in MAME, it was really difficult to control because you have to emulate the spinner somehow. Right. I found a good way to do that is to use a trackpad for the spinner and, oh, what else? What? Yeah, okay, the way I did, yeah, I, one of these days I'm actually going to use a real controller when I do MAME stuff, but instead I was using my laptop. So I was using the trackpad both to rotate and fire. And that actually worked out okay, as long as I didn't have to rotate a lot. But For me, it's just getting some sort of a, a controller, a modern-type controller, it's either USB or Bluetooth, that has uh, shoulder buttons, and you map the shoulder buttons to the spinner. Uh, that generally works pretty well for I gotta most try games. That. I have a PS4 It takes a lot controller. of tweaking, but once you have it tweaked properly, it works like a... Uh, 
works like a charm mm. for most games. There's a, a few that I found that it doesn't work quite as well with. Oh, and by the way, a lot of my research, a lot of the things that I talked about came from a book called Cubert and We, Advanced Reader's Edition. It is, uh, the credit is by Jeff Lee and colleagues. And on the front cover, it says, with Trickman Terry Minich. So he contributed nice. to the book as well. The sadly now former co-proprietor of uh, Pixel Blast of it. I will put a link to the show notes on how you can order. You basically have to go to Jeff Lee's uh, webpage and uh, send him a note that says, please let me know how I can order this book. There is a ton of amazing information in here, and I, I highly enjoy it. Highly enjoy it. Highly recommend you buy it. I know I mentioned this when I talked about this book when we talked about Qbert's Cubes, but the thing I like most about this book is the credited publisher, Rat Slime, <laughs> which like is Millstar too. or Milestar spelled backwards. Which Milestar, of course, is what Gottlieb became. Mm-hmm. So, After yeah. Paramount bought them out, I believe. But yeah, I mean, what, what was your rating? How many continues again, did you say? I gave it four. I'm, you gave I four? gave it four. I could probably be persuaded to give it a five. But you know, for right now, it's a four. You know, I'm going to have to say, yeah, I have to agree with that. I, I, I rate it four continues as well. Four out of five. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was getting frustrated playing it. But of course, in my situation, I was emulating it. And I wasn't really emulating it properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can definitely put a little bit more effort into it and uh, eventually i'll play it somewhere where there where i can actually play it on a real machine and uh, i'm sure i'm sure i'll have a lot better time with that you know because this because really the as weird as the controls are where you have to spin your ship and move around and fire the actual hardware control scheme makes sense you got a spinner on one side and a joystick with a with an inbuilt fire button on the other i mean it, it works it works it's a good fast action game. It's uh, it takes a lot from uh, the games they were making at the time, as far as the graphically and uh, especially sonically. At this time, oh. the uh, the sounds and music coming from Gottlieb games rivaled anything Williams was doing. Yeah, it's it's got some really good sound. And if you've never played Mad Planets before and you're about to play Mad Planets, uh, a lot of the sounds are going to sound familiar with you because they, they sound very similar to what you hear in Qbert. And in fact, the little uh, coin drop sound, it's the exact same sound that Qbert uses when you drop a coin in. I've always liked that sound effect. I don't, there's no, I don't think there's any synthesized speech in uh, Mad Planets, though, is there? Mm, I don't remember. Not that I am aware of. Yeah. But other than... Oh, it's... Oh, it's... um. A uh, reactor that has the synthesized speech. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Wait. Reactor does? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. It's a little hard to make out, but yeah, it yeah. does now that I think about it. Yes. But it yeah. Does. Mad Plants, definitely give it a try. Uh, if you're a Commodore 64 person, you might want to try uh, Crazy Comets and its sequel, uh, Mega Apocalypse. But yeah, I, I will say I, this. I think Mad Planets, though, is even though you can emulate it, I think it's a game that you really got to play in the arcade. If you have an arcade that's got a machine near you, spend a few bucks to go into the arcade just to play this game. It's it's yeah. it's worth going in just to play this one. Yeah. Yeah, and s- spend a few bucks just to support the arcade, too. I mean, yeah. And not just the arcade, but any business that might be struggling and they're really doing what they can to make make people safe during COVID and all that, give them some money, please. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, sorry to go off on that. Uh, should we? Do we want to wrap up uh, Mad Planets, or do you have anything further? Or? Let's put a nice big bow on Mad Planet, since it is the holiday season. Yeah. Well, a nice big bow would be festive. Yeah, yeah, and we will re-gift it. We will re-gift Mad Planets. So let us talk about, shall we talk about Discs of Tron? Actually, can we hold off till next week on that one? Okay. One week later. Hey, how was your week, Jimmy G? 
Oh, it was a fine, fine week. I worked and I ate and I slept. Good. Me too. Yes. So now, Discs of Tron. This is uh, from Midway, 1983. It came in in an environmental cabinet and it came in a stand-up upright cabinet. The environmental cabinet was interesting because it was uh, it didn't have a seat uh, to sit down on. It had like, you basically stand up and leaned against the back of it. I guess it had kind really? of a bit of a seat, but you didn't sit down in like a squatting position like, say, Sinistar or Omega Race. It was more of a standing position, which was a little unusual. Both those other games, by the way, awesome in an environmental cabinet. Holy oh, gosh, God. yes. It, it doesn't really make so much sense with the perspective on those games. You don't think it does, but once you're actually in the cabinet, it's just freaking awesome. Uh, it's nice to have like pretty much everything else in the arcade around you just like blotted out. Yeah. So that you could just concentrate on the game. I, I I love that most about environmental cabinets. Star Wars was really good for that too, but so yeah, Discs of Tron. It's uh you are Tron and you are basically on the game grid trying to defeat Sark. And how you do that? Well, you throw your disc at him. You have uh, several discs. It's, it's like 3, I think. And how you aim it's uh, the control setup is similar to Tron. You have a spinner and you have a flight stick with a trigger, but you also have a black button on the top. So you can use that to block Sark's discs at you. And as far as aiming goes, the dial controls like a little crosshair that goes along a line about halfway through the um, play field. It goes, you spin it a full 360 degrees. There's also something unusual that makes this different than Tron in the control setup. Later on in the game, starting like the fifth or sixth level, you'll notice there's uh, two, maybe three lines that work all the way around the play field and, uh, for your cursor. And you can lift the spinner up to make the uh, cursor go up to the line above or push down on it to make it go to the line below. So you can uh, adjust it up and down as well as all the way around the 360, which is gets a little complicated, makes this game really a lot more difficult to emulate than the original Tron. I'm just going to say right now, this game isn't that great in emulation just because of that reason. I'll give you my full opinion of the game later, but if you're going to play this one, try to seek out a full cabinet. But anyway, so you're standing on like a disc in in the game grid, and just like in the movie, actually, now that I think about it, and you either hit Sark, get a direct hit on him with your your discs, or you make him fall off the disc. Uh, you die the same way. You either get hit by a disc or one of the other types of special discs that Sark has, or by falling off. Uh, the first screen, you have like one disc, and then there'll be two for each side of the uh, play field, and eventually I believe there's three. Further on down the line in the game, there will be obstacles. Like sometimes there'll be a wall down the middle that keeps scrolling that you have to break down to hit Sark. Kind of like the MCP uh cone sequence in Tron. Sometimes there will be a wall in the middle and just constantly opens and closes that you can't break down. Sark has several different weapons he can throw at you, like uh, his, he's got a standard disc, he's got an energy disc, uh, he's got a chaser, a super chaser, or uh, an energy pellet. Every time you graze Sark, you get 200 points. Every time you de-res him or kill him, you get 1,000 points. And 
One other thing is I mentioned that the uh, the cursor, you can aim your, where you're throwing the disc up or down by pressing down or uh, lifting up on the, uh, the disc. You can yeah. actually, in, in some parts of the game, actually knock out parts of his platform. So if you uh, get rid of his platform, you get 2,000 points for that. So I've never made it that far in this game, no matter how <laughs> I've played it. So it's something I'm going to have to take the manufacturer's word for. That's essentially the game in a nutshell. Discs of Tron was originally supposed to be part of Tron, but they pulled it out because they thought this had enough play in it that they could make it its own game. (laughs) The environmental cabinet is so big. How big is it? Well, I'll tell you. It's so big that some arcades have actually had to saw uh, the cabinet in half to uh, get it in their arcades. Jeez. So, uh, yeah, it's that big. And here's something interesting. The upright version... There's no voice in it. There's voice in the environmental cabinet. That's because hmm. in the environmental cabinet, there's an extra PCB for voice that is not in the upright, which is really pretty weird. Yeah. Although it's not the most unusual thing we've seen. In, Do you know uh, if anybody tried game. to hack the upright to get that chip in it? Or if it's even doable? Uh, similar hardware. I imagine it's probably doable. I wonder hmm. if it's a space issue since the environmental cabinet is huge. Yeah, yeah. So that's the only reason I could think that the environmental didn't have it, because uh, voice uh, synthesis was still not cheap or easy, you know, back in when Discs of Tron was released. Oh, yeah. But um, as far as ports go, there was only one port of this game in the classic era. That's one more than I thought there'd be. Yeah. It was on the Game Boy Advance. It was oh. part of the game Tron 2.0. Tron 2.0, I can't remember the subtitle of it. And uh, it was in a lot of games that are like derived from classic arcade or home console games. You have to reach a certain milestone and you unlock the original game. Uh, Not so much, uh, oh, it's Tron 2.0 Killer App. That's what it's called. I used to have it. Uh, That's not so with this one. It was available from the main menu right off the bat. So you could buy Tron 2.0 Killer App just for the arcade Tron or Hmm. the, the discs of Tron. It used the shoulder buttons on the Game Boy Advance to spin it, which now I'm curious as to how it did the uh, up and down movement. Maybe it just ignored it. That's entirely possible. I guess later on in the game, because of the up and down movement of the spinner, that uh, you could actually have discs bounce off of the ceiling, uh, the ceiling and the floor of the play area, which is kind of neat. So, but again, I'm terrible at this game, so I've never even, (laughs) I haven't made it very, very far. I think I've made it to the third screen. Dude, most of what you said about this game is is news to me because I cannot get very far at it at all. No, I can't either. It's not a very easy game. In fact, uh, it's not very, even though you get some decent points in it, it's still not really a very high scoring game. This is definitely a game you do want to play in the environmental cabinet because it just feels like you're actually in the arena there with Tron. Just I think you've played it, it in an environmental? I have. Uh, I nice. can't remember the name of the arcade I played it in first, though, but I know I played it, I'm pretty sure I played it at uh, Marriott's Great America on mm. that class trip I took way back Wait, in the It was day. still Marriott's back then? It was still Marriott's back then. Huh. I believe uh, Six Flags didn't buy it until it was either 84 or 86. Wow, yeah, it had to have been 84. It was one of those years. I could look that up, but... Because uh, it was definitely... Six uh, Six Flags Park well before 86. Let's see. When did Six Flags Flags by Great the 
America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1984. So, yeah. It first opened in 1976 as Marriott's Great America. Six Flags purchased the park from the Marriott Corporation in 1984. By the way, there is a, uh, what is the name of the website? There is a great website, which... Uh, xhamster.com? Uh, which... Let me see if I can find it. Oh, gosh, I can't find it. But there was a great um, website, and I'm going to f- see if I can't find it, that had a history of the uh, the Great America Parks, uh, the two that opened, and the proposed one near Washington, D.C. that never got off the drawing board. The one in the Chicago area is owned by Six Flags. The one in California is owned by Cedar Fair, which is you know the Cedar Park's parent company, or Cedar Point's parent company. And then there was one, again, that they were going to try to build it near D.C., but that never got off the ground. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is it GreatAmericaParks.com? GreatAmericaParks.com. That's the website. If you want to read something interesting history about these parks, that's the uh, the place to go to. Look at the show so, notes. Look at the show notes. And uh, there you go. So, and that is all I have to say about Discs of Tron. Uh, Sean, do we have high scores? Uh, yes, indeed we do. Thank you for asking there, uh, Jim. Uh Caught me off guard, even though I knew from long ago that I would be asked that question. Oh, here we go. Okay, yes. Uh, f- um, I will once again start with Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. Uh, Lars Berg scored 159,300 on September 1st, 2016. And um, let's see, even higher than that, much higher than that, Twin Galaxies shows Paul Hornitsky, whom we've mentioned before because he's had other records. Uh, he has scored 589,900 on my 37th birthday in 2011. That was uh, submitted through a DVD. So, yeah. As for me, oh, man, I don't, I don't even want to think about that. Um, me neither. Love the game, but can't play it worth a damn. Yeah, this is a very, very fun game. Uh, like I said, you had to really enjoy it. You have to play it in an environmental cabinet if you can find one. I mean, it's still fine on the upright, but the experience in the environmental cabinet is second to none. Uh, you know, I might give this a dual score. Really? Oh, one for the environmental, <laughs> one for the one environmental, for the... one for the stand up. Huh. I should have done that when we did two tigers because both games are essentially it's the same. They those were the same concept, but they were different games at the same time. Uh, yeah, this is. You actually feel like you're really on the game grid with them. And um, you feel like you're really playing the movie in this one more so than Tron. I can and see I, that. This this game is more successful with that. Just because of the nature of the game. And there's a little more person. There's a lot more personality to this game than the original Tron. That having been said, I don't think it's as fun as Tron. Because I, th- um, I think part of it's the difficulty level. But... Uh, Whereas I gave Tron a five. This one, I'm going to give this a four on the environmental and a three on the stand-up. This is a game you have to experience in the environmental cabinet. Hmm. I'm going to give it, you know, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I kind of figured you would. Yeah, because it's just such a, it's a unique game. I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, it's a, I, again, I can't play it for crap. But I still love it. Oh, and one thing I didn't hear you say is that this was the first game, I, be- I believe this was the first game that uh, King Henry VIII worked on. Uh, I think that actually is Spy Hunter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And by the way, for those of you new listeners, uh, King Henry VIII, that's uh, Brian Colon from uh, currently the CEO of Game Refuge. Uh, or as my daughter calls him, Brian F- Colon. Yeah. Because his middle initial is F. 
Colin, not Colin. Colin. But apparently we mentioned, we name dropped him too much, so we kind of changed his name. King a Henry bit. VIII. Yeah. yeah. We just leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. But, so, um, so, yes, this is, like I said, this is the only time I'm going to repeat myself. Play this in an environmental cabinet, if at all possible, to really get the full feel and full uh, experience of this game. More so than any other game we've ever reviewed, this hmm. one benefits a lot more from the environmental versus the upright. And I have to take your word for it simply because I haven't been able to play uh, the uh, environmental. And man, I don't remember where the first where uh, the first time I ever played this. This was definitely sometime since I was no younger than I'd say thirty five when I first played it, and I'm now forty six. You were a wee lad. Well, okay, you weren't, but still. And I'd, I'd always heard of it, but of course, because I could never go to arcades except for our monthly trips to Lincoln Mall, I never got a chance to see it or play it. I, I heard all my friends talk about it, all my brother's friends. All these friends, my friends and my brother and my brother's friends, all had one thing in common. They all called it Tron Discs. I never heard anybody call it Discs of Tron. Huh. Yeah, because... They the got game, this new game, game over there. It's, called, it's like Tron Discs. Oh, and I do have to mention that there is Tron Deadly Discs on the Intellivision yes. and the Atari 2600. Similar concept, but way different in execution. Uh, I would say they're a lot easier than this. Oh, yeah. uh, they're still worth checking out, both of them, but uh, you're not. it's not the same game at all. I'm guessing of the two of them that the uh, Intellivision version is better. I think it has a couple of more features that really could it's have been It's got a couple more features, version. but I like the 2600 one better because it controls better. Okay, I can see that. Now, how about you? How about your thoughts on uh, making this a separate game from the original Tron? Do you agree with that logic? You know what? I think so because I th- I, I think there's a lot more. There's definitely a lot more you can explore with this concept. I guess the only thing that I would change about this game, if I could, is uh, make Sark a boss battle because in each round it's you against Sark and you kill him to advance to the next level, but he comes back at the next level. He should be a boss character, and you should be fighting other programs up until the point where you get to Sark. That's the only change I'd make to this game. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's a standalone game, because, man, the original Tron is hard enough for me. I can't... Yes. I can, I have a hard time getting past the second go-round of it, man. I have I've done, done it. This, I have done it, yeah. It's just not easy. It's like, man, how are people getting so far in this game? Good grief. I yeah. know that there are, like, for example, in the Light Cycles uh, minigame, there are patterns that you follow that would never make sense to you if you didn't know them already. Mm-hmm. But, but man, but yeah, I can't, I can't imagine I'd even get that far if Discs of Tron were part of Tron. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy Did you Were you able to emulate this with any kind of playability? Yes, uh, I was using my 8-bit Doe SNES 30-plus wireless Bluetooth controller, uh, and I was able to map the uh, left and right to the triggers. And since that controller has lower triggers, I mapped the up and the down to those. I'm thinking of trying to find a way to map it to the right thumbstick. The thing is, you really kind of need the dial for precision's sake in this game, more so sure. than Tron. Precision and fast movement is needed in this game a lot more than it is in Tron. And I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, seriously, if you play this game in emulation and you've played it in the arcade, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's a difficult game to emulate. But yeah, so I guess do we have anything further to say about? <gasps> I have not. Okay, yeah, now I'm not so sure this Buffalo Wings soda is non-alcoholic. Oh, I like how it says artificial in front of it, as if you'd think they'd use real buffalo wings in this. <laughs> I would try it once. Yeah, I'm not going to try buffalo wing soda one more time. This, you know, It's not bad, but I'm not going to have it again. I guess that it's more of a cinnamony drink than anything. Yeah. I would actually love to have a very strong cinnamony soda. Hmm. I think that would be great. I think that's it oh, for tonight. Okay. Shall we reveal the uh, the theme? Yeah, yeah. What's the theme? Well... The original theme was uh, games that have a joystick and a spinner. But after realizing that uh, we have uh, a friend of the show uh, that programmed either of the games, uh, Jeff Lee for Mad Planets and Brian Colon for Discs of Trod, games with a flight stick and spinner whose art director were friends of uh, our friends of uh, Pie Factory Podcast. Yeah, and who've both been on this podcast. And have both been on this podcast. we yeah. got to get more interviews. We haven't done an interview in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just... The last couple I've wanted to do just kind of fell through. I got well, you know what I want. I want to do an interview with someone who has absolutely nothing to do with video games and just see how that goes. Your wife and my wife. Hey, no, no, you know what? no. that's not a You're, bad idea. I have seen your wife play video games many There's times. There's only very few that she plays. She plays clacks mostly. Oh yeah, yeah. And she was. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I told her I got clacks for the Genesis. I might have to do that. She's mostly a clax player. She yeah, loves my, clax. My wife is, I think back in the day she played a couple just because it's what you did. Mm-hmm. But nowadays it's like, yeah, she's like, yeah, I don't give a damn. But so, hey. So that is our theme. It, so. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Interview non-gamers about our, about games. So, so what do you, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Argus? What are your, so when was the last time that you played NBA Jam? Hmm. Interesting. What's your thoughts on Marble Madness 2, Marble Man? <laughs> you know what? I gotta find where the ROM for that Aka R game is. I want to try playing that. See what that would see what's up about that. That's the one that was supposedly stolen when the game was on display uh, at some uh, retro event. Oh. And I don't buy the owner's story that uh, somebody pulled the PCB out, dumped the ROM, and then quickly put it back in before he got back to the the arcade game. I think that's a load of bull hockey. There's no way it was that it that happened that fast. Not in a million years. I think he purposely released it. He's just making a story because the people that have that game uh, are, from what I understand, very protective of How do you game. steal a motherboard out? Even to, I mean, how? The guy pretended he was doing maintenance, supposedly. Oh, it's, it's a it's a baloney story. A um I have to ask Hyde, uh, if we have a breaking news uh theme could you play it here because i just learned i just learned some news literally just this moment breaking news news. uh howard scott warshaw just released a book (gasps) no this is in uh the atari age facebook page where he put this up uh hello classic gamers it is finally done the ebook once upon atari how i made history by killing an industry (laughs) is now available just in time for christmas just like et if you've ever enjoyed my talks articles or games you'll really enjoy this book paperback coming out soon check it out what's it called again once upon atari how i made a history by killing an industry and we will have the link in the show notes Uh, i love his sense of humor he's got a great sense of humor and uh, so, uh, yeah, that was just released. Uh, paperback coming soon. 
but you can get the ebook now just in time for Christmas, just like E.T., quoting Howard Scott <laughs> Warshaw there. So, yeah. yeah. So, breaking news. You heard it here first on Pie Factory Podcast. Well, Ooh, not by the time yeah. this has come out, though. So I'm going to see if I can order that through uh, my neighborhood bookstore, actually. Oh. There you go. So... Yeah. Oh, and our friend Bill Pepper just released just yes just released a new Atari uh, what related was it? Devil's book too. Cereal, Hell's Cereal, Hell's Cereal, Hell's Cereal. Yes, C E R E A L, and uh, we will uh, link that information Which as well. I got to get him money for a signed copy of uh, of his first book, In the Saint Nicholas Banana, or is that his second book? Yeah, In the Saint Nick of Time, which I just finished re 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 reading last night. Rewind. Yeah, it's a so. it's a great book and uh, misery banana. So, Sean, oh yes, yes, yes. So, with all of this, do we have people we need to thank? Yes, we do because they were kind enough to uh, donate uh, some of their hard earned money to us to help us uh, keep this podcast going, and uh, uh, we've used it in the past to upgrade our equipment and uh, keep our website up and running. So, uh, yeah, we thank you guys so much. So, thanks. And uh, by the way, this time I reorganized the list in alphabetical order by the last letter of the name under which they uh, donate their money to us via Patreon. So thank you, Timmy Mack and Underground Retrocade and PJ Steele. Thank you to Kurt Musgrave, Mike Hat NJ, Airshack, Keith Sheehan, Rory Coleman, Art Guglielmo, Greg at the SNES Podcasts. I almost said Sneeze Podcast. <laughs> thank you to Steve Steiner, Mark Super, Kyle Etter, Richard Grounds, Lance Andries, Atari Bites, Christian Williams, Nate Lockhart, D. Alex, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Tim Foley, and Richard Valdez. Thank you guys so much. And uh, anybody else who'd like to uh, pitch in a buck or two uh, every month and uh, help us out a little bit, uh, there is information about that from our booth announcer at the end of the show. And um, yeah, and by the way, speaking of our booth announcer, um, I did a quick recording session with our booth announcer to have another spoken piece added to it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it out this week because I realized that our original booth announcer recording that you hear at the end of every episode was recorded literally in the uh, parking lot of super dog. And <laughs> this other thing that was just added on was recorded in the room where I am right now. And it sounds way different. It sounds all wrong. So I'm just going to say this right now that pie factory podcast is a part of the fab four it podcast network. Mm. Yeah. So say, so saith myself. Yay. Verily. And with that, Next week. Oh, next yes. Week, next time. Next month. <laughs> next After year now. Yeah, next year. Um, we will be talking about Possibly the even next the presidential games. administration, depending on when it comes out. So it's next yes. everything. Yes. So uh, we will be talking about the games Hang On and Golden Axe. Hang on. Hang on. And Golden Axe? Uh, okay. I will say right now that uh, the theme is not... These are games that were put in the arcade by Gen- or by Sega. Not at all. That is not the theme... Because that would be way too easy, and we have we've never done a very easy theme, have oh, we? Oh no, never! Oh no, 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 no! <sighs> and with that, we will see, we will listen to you, hear you, whatever. No, you will hear us in a month. Yeah, we may hear you if you loyal. send us an audio submission. But hey, yeah, that's true. We welcome audio submissions, by the way. Yeah, here's somebody so, else talk uh, for a change. You know, yeah, so. We, you know what? I would love to have Strutters send us something, but oh yeah, I don't yeah. know if he listens. I don't know either, and you know. But uh, yes, yeah, send us audio submissions, emails, whatever. Just listen for the address to send those to in just a little moment here. And here it is, Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com. The booth yeah. announcer doesn't say it. Ah, yes. So there we go. And uh, one month. Talk to you later. 
baby. Oh, damn it. I got to come up with a pun. Uh, oh, pun, pun. Uh, oh. Pun on you, Crazy Diamond. Oh, God. That's, that's a rough oh, one to I'll come up with. One. I'll take this one. Digging a tunnel is boring. Bye. Ah, there we go. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy CTA Holiday Train, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. <laughs>